Some of you are super disappointed that this is the last weekend you're going to see that video. Some of you are thrilled. So, hey, good morning. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Arbor. My name's Garrett. Ever met before? I'm one of the pastors here. I'm trying to think how I come back at this ridiculous question of John's. REI modeling. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's better than Zoolander, right? Mocha Frappuccinos. Maybe you and I can go out later, John. We can talk about how. I feel like you're trying to dress more like Jake than you are me, though. Yeah, got it, got it. Well, to be fair, I'm dressing in whatever REI outlet sells because there's always an extra 50% off. So I don't know. I got nothing good. John's way funnier than me. I do sit and wonder to myself sometimes, what does he do during the week to have time to think about this stuff? But anyway, dude, I'm sure it's very important. So <laughs> now I'm just getting mean. I'm sorry. Um, so we are wrapping up a series that we've been in the last two weeks. This is the third week, a series called Splitting Logs, thus this giant log sitting in front of me here. Some people are like, is that an altar? Is this like a Catholic thing where you come and kneel in front of it? So no, Jake's been hitting it with an ax, so no. And, and uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about serving. This is a series about serving. So the last two weeks, we've talked about serving internally within the church, what it looks like to be part of this unique spiritual family and, and to be a contributing member of the family, whether it's during the week or here on Sundays, it takes a lot of people to pull this off. And so we highlighted that last weekend by giving all the volunteers the day off. And so a lot of you came here and were surprised that there was no coffee, that there was no parking people, that there were no chairs laid out for you, the trash hadn't been taken out, right? All of this kind of stuff. And here's the thing. I think we made our point because you guys answered in force. So many people signed up, raised their hand, said, count me in, I will serve. So thank you guys very much. Two things that excite me about that. One, we told the current people that are serving that helped launch this church and have been really um, involved for the last year and a half, year and a half, we said reinforcements are on their way. And you guys answered that, so thank you. Second thing is, I'm really excited for you, those of you that are gonna step out and start serving because there's just something that happens when you do that. And so I'm looking forward to what you are about to experience as you lean into this and uh, help create a, create a place here for people to come to know Jesus and grow in their faith in Jesus. So that's that, I'm excited. Today, we are going to talk about serving again, but in a different context. We're gonna talk about serving externally outside of the church. What is our engagement in our local community look like? And so uh, I wanna talk about how we invest in the lives of those who are not yet here. And I say not yet here on purpose because my hope is that in time, through us just being the light of Jesus, through loving people, serving people, no strings attached, that it will lead them to Jesus. And maybe at some point in time, they'll decide to come here to Arbor. That's not really the goal. It'd be awesome if it happens. But that's what I mean when I say not yet, not yet here. And so we're gonna talk about what opportunities do we have? Does our community know we're here? These are the two questions we're gonna ask. Does our community, Woodenville, Bothell, North Creek, do they know Arbor is here? And the second question is, if we left, would they miss us? Would they have any idea we're gone and would they miss us? And so, ultimately, we were sent by Jesus. He instructed us to go. 
not just to serve each other, not just to huddle here, but to go out and to be his light in our community. And so today, we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture that highlights not only how Jesus sent people out, but why he sent them out. So we're just going to dive right in. Luke chapter 10. If you brought something to read the Bible on, that's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. You can also look on the screens. The verses will be on there. So I'm just going to dive right into it. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says this. After this time, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So I'm going to pause here. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this one because there's a lot going on just in this one verse. It starts off saying, after this. What does that mean? After what? what? A chapter prior, if you look back at Luke chapter 9, he had just sent out the 12 disciples to go ahead of him with very specific instructions. So now he's sending out a new group of people. Not as specific instructions, but still very specific instructions. So after he sent the disciples out, he is now appointing 72 others. We don't know exactly who these 72 are, which is interesting. We don't know their names. We don't know their credentials. And we don't hear anything about them again for the rest of the New Testament. All we know is that they were there and they were called to go and serve. And it says, the Lord appointed 72 others. So again, they're not named. Credentials not listed. And I think this is important. I wanted to sit on this for a second. Because a conversation that comes up over and over and over again with people I have and a conversation I have with myself, if I'm honest, is this idea of feeling qualified. Okay, I'm going to go out and be the light of Jesus to the world. What does that mean? Do I know enough? Have I, do I know enough about Scripture? Will I be able to answer the questions that I'm asked, like all of these things that fear creeps in and starts answering, asking me all of these questions that then I end up withdrawing and like, well, I'm not qualified to do this. I need to spend more time at church. I need to be in another Bible study. I need to, I need to, I need to. Here's what's really interesting. All throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, there's a pattern. And the pattern is this. Well, there's more than one pattern, Okay. This is a pattern. God uses the most unlikely of characters. If you've been at church much, if you've read scripture much, you know this is true. People that aren't qualified are the people God tends to use to do incredibly impactful things, historical things. So if you're sitting here and have similar thoughts to me of feeling unqualified, not ready, etc., I have really good news for you this morning. You are perfectly placed to be used by God in a huge way right now. Right now. What's a huge way? I don't know. Have fun finding out. That's the best part of the journey. You get to find out. It's specific to each of us. But if you don't feel qualified, congratulations. Join the club. You're in a perfect spot. So after this, Jesus calls 72 what does he do? He sends them. We're still in verse one. <laughs> you guys hanging in there with me? He sends them. This is action-oriented. The action part of our message, go, make disciples. For them, it was go do what? It was go prepare the way of the places that Jesus was about to visit. Should sound familiar, this idea of preparing the way. This is what John the Baptist did. He said, behold, here I am, a voice in the wilderness. 
crying out, prepare a way for the person that comes after me. Just like that, that is the ministry that we've been invited into with Jesus, to go and prepare the way. And so I picture this as these 72 are sent out and they're walking down these dirt roads, embarking on a journey to wherever city or town or village that they've been sent to, right? They're going down these dirt roads and they're Birkenstocks, they're thirsty, they stop at a convenience store, grab a water or whatever, strike up a conversation with the clerk. Clerk says, hey man, how you doing? Good, good, thanks. Clerk says, what are you up to? Oh man, I'm headed to such and such a place to, to tell them, you know, you know the kingdom of God that our ancestors used to talk about, our grandparents talked about, our great-grandparents talked about? It's here, now. I just came from a place where I saw sick people receive health, blind people receive, receive sight, lepers made whole. There's a person that was dead for three days that was raised from the dead. And all of those things, the guy that's doing that, he's on his way here. It's changed my life. Changed my life. I'm going to this place to tell them about it. So imagine how they're feeling, all this stuff they just witnessed. And yet we're being invited to that exact same thing and to share that exact same story of how not all the perfect things that Scripture says and have all the right arguments, but how God has impacted our life, how we have experienced the kingdom of God in our life, the transformation, transforming power of Jesus and his spirit in our life, and we're being invited to share that story and prepare the way so that hearts and minds are ready for Jesus. It's awesome. So he sent 72, and what did he do? He broke them up into teams. Said two by two, right? It says, he appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. This is the preference portion of our purpose. Our purpose is to go and make disciples. And we've always said that our preference is that we do it together. That we do it together. So, verse one, we're gonna hit that level of detail in all the other verses. You guys excited? We're gonna be here, yeah, we're gonna be here all day. All day. <laughs> the rest are quick, all right? <clears throat> verse two, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. This idea of the harvest being plentiful and the workers being few, we're probably familiar with this. It just means there's a lot of people out there that need to hear this message, but the people that are willing to share it are few. Not many people are willing to actually go out and do it. It goes on to verse three, go. I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. <laughs> so maybe this is why the workers are few, right? Like, yeah, that's not very encouraging. That doesn't sound very good. But here's the thing. Here's where I want to sit on this for a second. I love this. There's an urgency and there's an expectancy in this message. There's an urgency. Jesus is saying, go. It's really action-oriented. There's a huge harvest out there. It's ripe for the picking. This is easy if you'll just go. Guys, I'm telling you. It's easy, it's low-hanging fruit. The harvest is plentiful. There's an urgency. And then there's an expectancy. And I want us to hear this. When God says go and we obey, we can expect to experience great things. When he says go and we actually obey, we should expect great things. He says, pray for more laborers. He doesn't say, hey, let's hang out, let's sit around, let's pray for a while. They did that already. Now it's time to go. So he's saying, go. 
Pray for more workers. The harvest is ripe. But go and believe as you pray that me, the God of the harvest, will provide workers for you. Like lambs amongst wolves. Doesn't seem encouraging. But here's the thing on this. It's not our job to be concerned about the wolves. Okay, there's a reality in life in general. And as we go out on mission, there's going to be hurdles, obstacles. It's going to be scary. It's going to be tough. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be pushback, right? We can expect all of those things. But we shouldn't fear, nor should we change our course because of it. And I hope you hear that because that's a big deal. It's one thing to be aware of circumstances and expect it. It's another thing to let those detour you from your purpose. And so Jesus is saying, go, I'm sending you like a lamb amongst wolves. But what does Jesus say about himself? He says that he's the good shepherd. And it's the shepherd's job to worry about, to think about how to deal with the wolves. The sheep never do that. That's the shepherd's job. And he goes out in front of us and he deals with the wolves. Our job is to act in obedience and to go. And so there's an expectancy that as we obey and as we go on mission, God's going to do amazing stuff. And he's going to use us in incredible ways. He just doesn't want us to get distracted and be worried about circumstances. Continuing to verse 4, similar theme. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. So at the end of service, we're going to have some big wicker baskets in the back. And we want you to drop your purses and your wallets, your cell phones. Don't take cash out now. I see some of you like, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. There's the point with this and the verses going on from here, you know, for another halfway through this chapter, is it's, there's principles. So this one is to live by faith. Don't take stuff that's going to bog you down and you're going to put your faith in, your money, your possessions, your material things. To live by faith. It goes on providing specific instructions like don't seek better accommodations. The principle there is be content. Don't greet anyone along the way. It's not that you're supposed to be mean, right? Like, hey, be grumpy people. It's just don't get sidetracked. Don't get off course. Stay focused on the mission. Don't move around from house to house. Eat whatever's put in front of you. These are the different instructions that are detailed out as it goes on. He's just telling the disciples, be flexible, man. Be flexible. The theme I want to focus on today, and I think the larger theme at this is simply this. Jesus was strategic. Jesus was super strategic. He was intentional. He was specific. He had a plan. He gave a list of instructions to the disciples and then to the 72 on how and why to go out on mission to have the biggest possible impact. In today's nomenclature, there was a method to his madness. He picked a spot and he hit it. And if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you've heard Jake talk about this a lot, this idea of picking a spot and hitting it. It's a story, a, 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 a lesson that he learned growing up, working with his dad, chopping down trees, that the most efficient and effective way to chop down a tree is to pick a spot and hit it. And the way Jake said it was pick a spot, hit it, and repeat until complete, right? Pick a spot, you hit it, and you repeat until complete, over and over until you've done your job. 
Because when you go from place to place all over, all these incredible opportunities, trying to chop all these different spots, you just don't end up making a significant impact. You make a lot of marks, but the way to make an impact is to pick a spot and to continue to go. And Jesus seemed to understand this principle as he was incredibly strategic. So here's the thing, though. I don't really have my identity or sense of masculinity wrapped up in holding this big axe and creating a big show where I'm flinging wood chips all over it, you guys, all right? So I'm just going to put this down. I'm going to take a more practical approach. Huh? It's a cute little hatchet that Tawny got me for Christmas. I think it's more about looking at Instagram photos than it is actually doing work. But uh, I didn't grow up chopping wood with my dad. I grew up in Kirkland. If we needed wood, we just went to the grocery store, you know, right? Five bucks, and away we go. We enjoy our campfire. God, sounds like a lot of work growing up with Jake's dad. <laughs> but the point is a really, really good point. This idea of picking a spot, being strategic, being focused, all of us together focusing our energy in on something to collectively make a big impact. And I love that. And so we're going to continue to go with that theme when we talk about our local engagement, our outreach plan. Because here's the deal. There is no shortage of incredible opportunities out in our community. No shortage. All sorts of stuff. And I've heard a lot of great ideas from people sitting in this room of how we can get involved. And I, I want to be totally candid with you. It's taken us a long time to figure this out. I know that, and we've heard about it. You guys have shared with us how long it's taken us to figure this out. But we wanted to get it right. We wanted to get it right. We wanted to hear from God on what he was asking us specifically to do, what, as, a, as this specific expression of the church and of his body, what we were being asked to do. Because going along with this theme of picking a spot, we've got homelessness. We've got food pantries. Hey, what about men's ministry? What about women's ministry? What about mops? What about orphan care? What about human trafficking? What about, what about, what about? And it goes on and on and on, and it's overwhelming. Because you want to do it all. But you know that in doing it all, you do effectively very little. And so, what are we going to say yes to And in consequence, what are we going to say no to in order to have a big impact? And so we're going to spend the remainder of our time detailing out what our plan is when it comes to engagement in our local community and outreach. And it probably will feel a little bit more like a family meeting if you've ever been to one of those than, um, than a typical Sunday message. But I want to take this opportunity to sit down and go through in detail how we as a church are picking a spot and how we're going to hit it and repeatedly hit it to make a big impact here in the Bothell, Woodenville, North Creek area. All right? So we can all relax a little bit. You can take some notes if you want. And by the way, as I go through this and get very specific about what we're rolling out uh, starting now, there's going to be some things where you might resonate with it and go, man, I want to know more about that or I want to get involved in that. And so I invite you on that connection card John talked about. You can write your name and just make a note of whatever it is I'm talking about on the bottom. 
and drop it in the baskets at the end of the service, and uh, we'll connect with you, okay? So there's, there's the, whatever that's called, prelude? What, I don't know what that's called. So we communicated a few months back, just before summer, um, that we had landed on a mission statement for our outreach strategy, and it was simply this, to help the hurting, that we felt called to help the hurting. And we defined that, we narrowed that down because we know hurting is a broad word. We narrowed it down to three categories, the addicted, the grieving, and the lost. When we say help the hurting, we define it as helping those who are grieving, those who are addicted, and those who are lost. And so I'm gonna jump in and start with grieving and, uh, and just we'll walk through each one. Here's why we picked grieving, because we feel that we are uniquely shaped and uniquely qualified as a, as a group of people to serve in this capacity, not just because of Jake and Davy's story, but because we have literally had a flood of people come in to Arbor over the past year and a half that are hurting, are grieving, have experienced significant loss. And we feel that we're uniquely equipped, uniquely shaped, to serve these people. And so some of the things that we're gonna be doing specifically when it comes to those who are grieving, first, a couple large uh, international organizations that we've partnered with. You're familiar with Compassion International. We talked about this uh, almost a couple months ago now. You guys blew our socks off and sponsored 73 kids. Compassion was telling me they would send me 25 because they thought that was a big goal and you guys crushed that by three times. I think it's amazing. And so we're gonna give another opportunity here in, in the next few months for um, those of you who maybe didn't adopt someone, we're gonna present that opportunity again, but I was just blown away by that impact. The second large international organization that we partnered with is Medical Teams International. Some of you may not know this because we haven't talked about this uh, broadly yet, but Medical Teams does an incredible job providing life-saving medical care to people in crisis, people who have lost much. So a lot of us have been watching the news over the past couple weeks, seeing Hurricane Florence in the Carolinas and wondering what we can do to be a part of helping all the devastation that's caused there. And I have good news for you. You already have been helping. Because of your obedience and generosity, we were able to donate a significant amount of money to Medical Teams International, who is on the ground in the Carolinas providing medical relief to people that were impacted by that devastating hurricane. They're in Costa Rica. They helped with Hurricane Harvey in Houston, Texas last year. They're doing incredible stuff. So we've been able to partner with them. And uh, again, because of you guys, been able to be involved in helping people who are uh, reeling from devastation. Here's a couple ways that we're gonna be involved here locally, right here in, in our own backyard. Groups. Groups are a really practical, personal way for people who are grieving to connect a meaningful, Christ-centered community. So we're gonna start two groups. Groups, signups starts next week, and then they launch, roll out two, three weeks from now. So I'm really excited for that. But we've got two different groups that are gonna focus on conversations involving grief specifically. One's called When God Interrupts. That's led by Jill and Dave Swenson. Another one, Hearing God Speak Through Our Sorrow. And that's led by Carrie and Kathy. And I'm real excited about both of these. 
Um, not only am I excited about them, but these groups are going to serve as a primer of sort to get us ready for January when we launch Grief Share here at this church. Grief Share is a, uh, a program, a ministry, if you will, that helps people who have gone through the loss of a loved one. And uh, I, I'm, Dave and Jill are going to spearhead that. And so we're using these groups to get the conversation started and get those of you involved that want to be involved to then launch publicly Grief Share. Grief Share is not just for people at Arbor, but it's something that'll be open to anyone that wants to be involved. And so there's different websites, counselors, et cetera, that specialize in grief. And so this will be featured on those and people through different ways can find out how to come here and and get plugged into community so they can work through that. Another way here locally that we're doing that, uh, that, that we're helping those who are grieving is there's a group of men that have self, what, what do you, assembled and, and have a heart for serving the elderly through taking care of their yards and doing small projects around the house, going and mowing their lawns, pruning hedges, little bits of painting, whatever it is that needs doing. No strings attached, just go and serve these people. Absolutely love it. Again, if you're hearing these things and like, man, that's interesting, I'd like more on that, write it down, turn it in so we can get you connected with these people. Another one, and probably uh, this is one that we're super passionate about. Jake has talked about this, but getting connected in, serving at adult family homes and assisted living facilities. So I'm gonna shoot super straight with you guys. This is something that we're really passionate about. We feel like... Our elderly community is often kind of the lost members of our society. They get put in these homes and kind of forgotten about. Oftentimes, depending where they're at, they're not always cared for real well, and they're just lonely. People don't come by to see them. Most of them don't have family. As we talk to these places, they, the people that work there say, no, most people actually don't get many visitors over the years of staying here. And so we thought, how cool would it be if we deployed people into those places to just hang out to be a friend, play games with them, tell stories about them, whatever. Just create some relationship and tell them that they're loved and that we're grateful for them. How awesome would that be? But what I've found is sometimes our good hearts and intents hit the roadblocks or the obstacles of logistics within uh, corporations. So these places, they have insurance requirements, liability issues. They're very concerned about people coming in and, and someone getting hurt on our watch. Um, they're also all like very understaffed. And so a lot of times, as much as they'd love to help, they just don't have time to go away from all the other stuff they're doing to organize a group of volunteers. And so here, candidly, is where we're at. Here's what we want and what we need is a few people of Arbor that inside them goes, I would really like to invest some time and help pioneer this thing. We need you to come and invest your time getting to know uh, these places, the activities directors, to begin to establish relationship so that over time there will be a larger opening, a larger availability for more people to come in and get plugged in and get involved. I've got a list of over 20 facilities in our local area that have all said they'd love to have us and work with us, but for various reasons, there's just hurdles to clear. And I have not had the, the time or the ability to go around and spend the time 
establishing relationships and doing all this. So quite candidly, I'm saying if you're here and that sounds like something God's asking you to do, please let me know. Because it's gonna be a little bit of a slow boil as we get started, but then you will help create an opportunity for a bunch more of us to jump in and serve. So adult family homes and assisted living facilities. That is how we are going to love on and minister and help those who are grieving. The second one, the addicted. Most of our outreach as it relates to the addicted will be through groups, small groups. Here's what I've learned over the last 10 plus years. Hardly anyone understands the power of community as well as those who are in recovery. People who are in recovery have decided, you know what, hit the bottom, nothing's gonna rattle me. I don't care, you know, if I'm a man and men don't share their feelings, screw it. I need to be in community with other men. Women tend to do this a little than us anyways. But people in recovery understand the power of community. So most of what we're gonna do is through community, through groups, because you, they need to be personal. They need to be safe. And we believe that there is no true recovery outside of Jesus, so they need to be Christ-centered. And so we're kicking off recovery groups in two weeks. Next week, you can sign up. There's a men's group and a women's group. And I'm super excited about this. All summer long, there's been a group of people who have been plant meeting and planning every week how to deploy these. I think there's nine of them, maybe even more. It's just been incredible to see them, watch them, and hear the stories of their hearts developing as they get this stuff in play for us. So we're launching two recovery groups uh, beginning next week. They also, like GriefShare, will serve as a primer as we plan to publicly launch Celebrate Recovery here in January. I'm super excited about this. Second, probably only to uh, Sunday services and groups, Celebrate Recovery will be the largest ministry we do here. And when we talked about how to serve those who are wrestling with addiction, we looked at all sorts of stuff and we thought, okay, we could host an AA group and an NA group and an SA group. And, but then you start having all of these separate groups, number one, and number two, none of them are explicitly Christ-centric. So we thought, well, if there's no real recovery outside of Jesus, and I'm not sure, like, logistically, we want to have all of these different meetings going on. When we looked at Celebrate Recovery, one of the things I love most about it is everyone is welcome. Because here's what Celebrate Recovery understands. We all have hurts, we all have hang-ups, and we all have habits. Every single one of us. So even if you don't self-identify as being addicted, I guarantee you, you have something, at least one thing in your life that you tend to go to for comfort outside of Jesus. And so Celebrate Recovery says, everybody come in. If you've got a friend that, that needs some help, come along with them. If you've got something, a ditch that you've been going in and you want to talk about it, come on in. So we're going to launch this thing and I cannot wait to see how this, I think this is going to be one of the biggest culturally molding, defining things that we do around here at Arbor. So I'm very excited about that. So that is going to kick off publicly in um, January. So you'll notice the list for addicted looks significantly shorter than the list for uh, grieving. And that's just because of the scope of Celebrate Recovery. It itself is going to be so involved and all-encompassing. Uh, so the list looks short. 
but it's not. Lastly, we're helping the hurting by serving the grieving, the addicted, and the third thing is the lost. What we mean by this when we say lost are people that are spiritually lost. We want to bring the good news of Jesus and the hope of heaven to those who have not heard it yet. And this is predominantly expressed in two ways, church planting and missions or missionary support. So at this time, we have currently made long-term commitments to support through finances, prayer, and people, three missionaries that we have great, rela- long, great and long-term relationships with. We looked at going with other larger organizations, and there's a lot of good opportunities out there for that as well. But we thought, man, there are people that we know as a team, as a community, that are doing this thing. We know what, we up, what they're up to. We know the kind of results that they're seeing. And we want a personal connection for us as a church, for people that someday want to get involved in this way so that we can p- send them to and partner them with real people that we know to get you involved. So we've made commitments to three families. The first one is the Kowalski family, Wally and Rosemary. He might look familiar to you. He was here a few months back and spoke with Jake uh, during an Ask the Professor um, message that Jake gave because Wally was a professor for many, many years at Northwest University. He's a brilliant man, man probably one of the smartest dudes I've, I've ever met and also one of the kindest guys I've ever met. He's incredible and his wife, equally as bright, brilliant, and loving. They're, they're an incredible family. So they picked up and, and they said, we're, they're at the age of retirement, and they said, we're not gonna retire out of something. We're gonna retire into the next season of our life. So in their quote-unquote retirement, they moved to Indonesia, and they're doing incredible stuff, working with millennials in Indonesia and seeing great, great fruit. The next family is the Wong family. And they are missionaries in China. If you know anything about China, it's not super open to Christianity and people peddling the gospel. So what the Wongs do is very dangerous and it's very under the radar. They don't explicitly talk about Christianity. They don't promote it. They do things like hosting camps, athletic camps, kids to come, get involved and through relationship and whatever else they do lead people to Jesus. Uh, one of the members of our advisory team, David Piscatelli, spent a year living with the Wongs in China and experienced firsthand the power of, of uh, how God is moving out in that area. Awesome. The third family is the Mulvar family, a family of six. Here's what's crazy about the Mulvars. I've known Scott a long time. I actually went to Seattle Pacific with Scott. And uh, after he graduated from college, he went to work at Microsoft, felt called into ministry, left his nice paycheck at Microsoft, planted a church here in Bothell called Sola. Maybe you heard about it. They met at the UW Bothell campus, and uh, they still do, but um, he resigned as senior pastor just recently because he felt God was calling him to now go be a missionary. So he first left Microsoft, and now he left the comfort of the local church in Bothell and moved his family to Croatia. All six of them just a couple weeks ago landed in Croatia and starting a brand new life and adventure there. And I just think it's incredible. So we as a church have a heart for church planting. We have a heart for missionaries. We have a heart for spreading the gospel. And so we just thought, man, what a perfect mix. Movar is like all of that stuff. 
So here's what my hope is with these people and, and our engagement with them, that it wouldn't just be a couple pictures on a screen of a few families that uh, because we write a check every once in a while and drop it in a bucket that, you know, now the church does some stuff and they get financial support. My hope is that we bring these stories back and we share how God is moving and how you guys are involved, whether you know it or not, in helping people hear about Jesus and find the hope of heaven all around the world. And at some point, if God tugs at your heart, that you can go, that we can organize short-term mission trips to go to Indonesia, to China, to Croatia, and hopefully many other places. Because I know some of the most impactful experiences in my life is when I got out of the Seattle area and I went to another country and I saw how other cultures behave, how other people live, and man, I saw God move in a powerful way. And so that's my hope for us as a church, that we aren't just writing checks and supporting these families, but that we will constantly be, constantly be immersed in story. And when the opportunity arises, when God tugs at your heart, that like I talked before, you will go and you will expect great things. Last thing, this isn't necessarily part of our outreach strategy. It's something that we've done as a core value from the very beginning of Arbor. And it's something that we've communicated a little bit about, and that's the care team. A lot of you signed up in the last couple of weeks to be on the care team. But there's some stuff the care team does that I don't think we're all aware of. So most churches put a portion of their budget toward what's called benevolence. And that means if someone in the church or in the community needs some financial help, they come in and they ask for it. And there's, there's some policies and procedures we walk them through, but hopefully at the end of the day, we're able to help them out. And we do that here at Arbor as well. A nice chunk of our annual budget goes toward exactly that. But the care team does something very similar, but it doesn't wait for people to come to us and ask for help. The care team proactively looks for people that are hurt or are in need in our community, and they proactively go and help, and they ask for no paperwork to be filled out. There are no strings attached. They simply look for a need and go and meet it. And some of you have become aware of that, and you've come to us on staff and said, hey, my friend is in a place of need, or hey, this family member of mine, you know, people that don't attend Arbor, but um, this person down, recently we helped someone that was further south in Tacoma. Like, there's no chance they're going to come here. But the goal isn't, hey, we're going to help you out and slowly pull you this way to Arbor. The hope is that we would just be the light and love of Christ to anyone and everyone we can. So here's what I'm saying and why I'm saying it. Open invite to everyone here. If there are people in your life, in your sphere of influence, at work, in your family, your neighborhood, whatever, that need a little extra help, that are going through a tough time in life, I hope you'll be the answer to that. And if the hurdle for you is, well, I, I'm, I'm not sure I have the expertise, I don't have the finances, well, guess what? You attend a church of more than 500 people, somewhere within this family, we're going to be able to figure it out. So my hope is that you will, won't let the, the questions and the reservations hold you back, but that you will bring those to us on staff and proactively say, hey, is there a way that we can help these people? Wouldn't it be amazing if that's what we were known for as a church community? 
just being the light and love of Jesus to everyone around us and that there was no conversation of, hey, this is from my church and I, you know, here's a card with the address and I hope you attend. Like, that's not what we're up to. We received a gift at some point in our life that we didn't deserve. It's called the good news for a reason. And all we're asked to do by Jesus is simply go out and do the same for other people. And so as we talk about our outreach, how we're gonna help those who are grieving, those who are addicted, how uh, help those who are lost, a big part of how we do this is we've set aside a big part of our budget to just go say, who can, need a, uh, who could use a little extra help? So we, the four of us on staff, can't do all that by ourselves. We don't know all the people you know. But when I add up 500 people, guess what? I bet we have pretty good proximity to some people that could use just a little extra help in their lives. So my hope is that we'll begin to have that conversation. Now you know your church has budget for that, and you can come tell us. And uh, the answer isn't always going to be yes. I hope you understand that. But as many times as it can be yes, it will be yes. So we're going to wrap stuff up. I'm going to invite the band uh, to come up, and they're going to lead us through one closing song and, and continue our time in worship. As they come up, would you bow your heads with me, and we'll pray.